So many people, so many queer people especially, seem to be suddenly obsessed with astrology. It's everywhere. It's on pillows and mugs and t-shirts. It's written about and covered in mainstream media outlets who write about Mercury every time it's retrograde. And this, I think, is a fascinating shift. We in mass are looking up into the sky to get clarity into who we are. And I promise I mean that in the least woo-woo way possible. Now, Chani Nicholas is our guest today. She's one of the community's favorite astrologers. She has a new book out called You Were Born For This. And she's here to talk about why astrology can be a tool for radical self-acceptance. From Luminary Media, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ and A. Thanks for being here, Chani. Thanks for having me, Jeffrey. Of course. I don't think I've ever told you this, huh. but before I had you on the podcast the first time, mm. I had to do a lot of hunting and asking around to see if you were queer or not. Really? Yeah. And I bring that up just because it's so clear today. Mm. Mm. And I wondered if talking more about being queer was has been deliberate choice recently. You know, my wife talks about you know, the first time she Facebook stalked me and trying to delineate if I was queer or not as well. And I, I think that she also said that there was mixed messages. I feel, I always feel like everything I write and put out there is so queer that I have a very hard time talking about myself personally. And there were reasons in the beginning of our relationship and marriage where we kept a lot of our relationship out of public eye for, again, a lot of different reasons. So I didn't want to say anything about her. There was stuff around it that we no longer deal with. So maybe that was the thing. Because we were, I was married when, and I would talk about my wife online, but just not all the time. I don't like to talk about myself a lot. Well, I didn't know if you thought there was value in separating out your your work, the astrology from the astrologer. I, I do think there's a lot of value in that. I want the work to be about the work. Okay, we can talk about the work now, I promise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've said that astrology has always gone in and out of uh, cycles of vogue, being mm -hmm. in and out of vogue. Mm -hmm. Does it feel different this time? Like it's here to stay though? I don't know. That's a good question. I guess I don't feel, I don't know how, what is the like here to stay? Like what's, what will be in the next 20, 30, 50 years. I feel like we're living in, in this. I, I don't just feel like we know the science of it is that we're living in an unprecedentedly unexpected era of change uh, in terms of the earth and climate. So I think that uh, astrology comes into vogue at times of great change societally because we're breaking open a paradigm of what we thought worked for us. So hopefully the paradigm that's being broken right now is white supremacist, patriarchal, colonial capitalism. And within we've gotten, we know that system, it doesn't work well for 99.9% .9 of the people or the earth, but we know it. And I think that we're awakening to breaking that open and trying to live in a different way because we know it's not sustainable. And at that moment, and then add the chaos of the 2016 to now, it's a moment that's ripe for looking for things to give us a context like, why are we here? Well, like there's the history of it. And then is there a greater maybe spiritual meaning or is there a system that we can 
kind of hang over this or see this moment within that can give it context and meaning and where we can develop a deeper relationship with it. And that's so interesting because it's if you're saying that astrology uh, comes into vogue when we need it most, yeah. I would have, th- have thought that you would have told me that we always need astrology though. I don't think so. I think in times of ease, I don't, you know, maybe there hasn't been a ton in, hum- in, in human culture, but um, in times where, you know, things are pretty steady and we know what's going on and we know what's next, then things like astrology aren't going to necessarily be as popular. So if if astrology is this ancient tool that yeah. helps us define who we are, yeah. in the modern age that we're currently in, who we are and how we define ourselves is just changing rapidly. Has that had an effect on how, how you interpret astrology and read it? You know, Esther Perel was, I think, on her uh, How We Work, uh, the work podcast that she has, said something about how we used to forever have a sense of identity through the place we were born, the family we were born into, the community that we were in, and that a lot of that was predetermined for us. And now most of us don't live in the city that we we grew up in. We change cities a lot. Like we don't have that context through family, through status, through culture, even sometimes even through lineage. We don't really have that connection to tell us who we are. We We actually get the privilege, a lot of us, of establishing that for ourselves. But doing that is a really big task. And I think a lot of us along the path of it start to be like, wow, I actually feel really lost. I don't, there's too much choice. I can just become, so who am I and what is actually meaningful for me? And so in the cornucopia of choice that we need to be able, I think it's really helpful to be like, actually, these are the things that resonate for me. And this is my life's direction. This is my life's purpose, which is why I wrote the book, because I want people to be able to get confirmation that the things that they want to do and the talents that they have are actually there in a marking in the sky the moment they took their first breath. And if you want to access that map of your life, you can to gain like affirmation and confirmation and also a little homework. Oh, so if we have all these choices and we have no idea where to start because we don't have a local community that we grew up in anymore and that tells us who we are, you were saying that this is one area to like look at, to give direction. I think that's why astrology is so popular with, you know, everyone talks so much right now about astrology is so popular with millennials and Gen Z. And sure, that's true. I feel like it's been really popular for other generations as well. But I think that at this moment, especially growing up with the internet, like everything is at your fingertips. Like, how do you distinguish what it is? How do you parse things out? And so I think that systems like astrology can help us to have help us to uh, gain a deeper connection with ourselves. Gotcha. Going back to what you said about millennials, yeah. to me, I would have told you that astrology is more popular than ever. Yeah. Is that not true? Well, I think that with the internet, the internet makes everything more popular than it's ever been. No other machine has mass produced information at such a rapid pace globally before in our lifetime. So feminism is more popular. Anti-racist work is more popular. 
social justice is more, we know more things now. We have a collective conversation going on, whether that's for good or not good. But the, but the ways in, like I had to search for bell hooks when I was growing up. Like that wasn't something I just was like, could like type into my computer and, and find. Same with astrology, I had to search for it. But now it's everything's at your fingertips. So, so everything can be talked about readily. So everything is more popular. And astrology lays at this really great intersection of meme ability, because it's an archetypal language and it speaks to our specific experience and personalities. And human beings are incredibly egocentric. And we also love to be dragged. <laughs> we love to be affirmed all in the same moment. And, you know, astrology really does that for us. It calls us out and loves us up all in the same kind of turn of phrase. And we we deeply desire reflections of who we are. I think most of us can tend to get really consumed with ourselves and lost in our own minds and emotional experiences. And I think that going to the internet and seeing something about your sign or your astrology can kind of like snap us back into a place of like, yeah, that's me. And it's, so then it becomes really popular and then it becomes very shareable and then it becomes this whole other monster. With the internet, astrology has entered pop culture. And yeah, like like queer culture has. Yeah. Like queer culture used to be something that we experienced in the bars and in the clubs. In the shadows. And in, yeah, and in the the one bookstore in town and in the at the party that we got invited. You know, it was like a very underground subversive thing. And now for for really great, you know, in really great ways, it's much more open and you can be a queer kid and wherever and get find a community which did wasn't at all what it was when I grew up and it's and these things have entered pop culture now today because they finally have a, a method with the internet we yeah. never had a like a resource or a, yeah. a route before yeah like we talk about Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P Johnson like now that's a known thing thanks to people like Tourmaline and other like activists that put their work out but when I was growing up I didn't know who they were there was one movie uh, you know it was it was uh, pay it no mind, I think, and it yeah. was like something I found on the internet. And it there was it was harder to share our histories and share um, the knowledge before you had to just be in the right moment and with the right people to hear the right thing to get the right hookup to, you know, you had to. It was all piece by piece, and now it's just all there. Right. But I found out who Harvey Milk was. Somebody was like, how could you not know who that was? And I was like, well, how would I yeah. know who that was? Yeah. He wasn't taught in school. Right. And even then there, wasn't a, there was... wasn't a movie, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> Do queer people relate more to astrology or is that just because like we are in this queer circle and everyone likes it? I mean, I want to like save space for the queers that loathe astrology because I love you too. Um, and yeah, it's a very queer phenomenon, I think, or like queers have really always taken to it. I think we need alternative ways of seeing ourselves or being witnessed. I think that when a lot of the, maybe the religious institutions that we come from or, or even traditions have shunned us, we need, I think on a like deep soul level, we want to be seen. And when we grew up in a culture that doesn't see us, that doesn't uh, that doesn't witness our gender that invisibilizes us that doesn't that makes us into something that we're not we need ways of being reflected that feel true and and not that astrology is non-judgmental but it's not moralistic in that way in the way that religion has 
tended to be because of the humans that have been proliferating that type of religion. Oh, so we've broken with heterosexuality. So we're more open to these other realms like astrology, but also astrology has never told us that um, there's a right way to like love or not love someone. No, there's, I mean, well, two things. I don't think, I think queers have always needed like, well, where am I going to get an affirmation then? If I'm not going to get it from from normative culture, if I'm not going to get it from my religious institutions or my workplaces or my government, then I need, I need to find it somewhere. And so for those that are astrologically inclined, it's definitely there. And also, you know, astrology is taught by human beings and human beings are really flawed and growing up in systems that are, are not great. So there's definitely been a lot of astrological knowledge passed down that was very heterosexist, very white supremacist, very uh, cisgendered. It, it's like that that definitely has existed in the past, but you can maybe like religion, but you can also kind of like weave your way around it. That makes sense. Yeah. With the commodification of astrology, the pop culturizing of astrology, We've seen, you know, Mercury being in retrograde talked about in every news outlet. It's on pillows and mugs, and it's oversimplified things. <laughs> um, one of the, my biggest takeaways from your book was how much information is in your chart. Mm. And um, it, reading your book was the first time that my, you know, my sun sign, one sign of many. Now yeah. I, um, <laughs> I'm a Pisces, my sun sign, and I never identified as one. I was a joke. I don't identify as one because in pop culture, Pisces are just emotional. Yeah. And that's not who I am. Right. But when I actually read like what that meant more yeah. in depth, I was like, oh, this does describe me in a way that I never knew before. And that you might utilize that type of style in terms of where, what the house that your son is in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the planets that are by your son might also really help you to live out that thing. Right. It's not just Pisces. It's that you are sun with this, with this in this place. And that gives you this need to connect to people as a way of working. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say to like, people want to be affirmed, um, I think that like, as just as like humans, like me, let's yeah. say I exist and I behave in certain ways. And it's not until people tell me I'm something or label my behavior mm. that I ever like think about it. Mm. Like I'm just nice to people. And mm. it wasn't until someone said, Hey, you're really friendly that I was like, Oh yeah, I guess I am. But it's just like, how I operate in the world. Right. And so like reading about these different like parts of my chart. Can was, we say what that is? Please. So Sun, Pi Sun Venus in Pisces is like an extraordinary setup uh, that that has to be nice to people, that has to be always in connection with others. And it doesn't mean that dating's easy or partnering, but there's just this natural affinity of being open and being in connection. And so relationships and art and beauty and all of that become an essential theme of you. Because also that Venus is what we call exalted in Pisces. So it's extra strong. So, And I always thought that I stumbled into like a career like this accidentally, but it's right. like, no, I've stumbled into this because it's what's comfortable. Well, it's, it's your talent. It's really like, it's how you, it's how you work. And to accept that, like if, you know, you were trying to be an engineer that was sitting in a room by yourself all day, like working, grinding it out, it would be horrible for you. But for another person, that would be great. And this would be horrible for them. Yeah. How long until you were 
officially studying astrology? Did you feel like you had a firm grasp of it? You know, I studied for decades, really. And I, it wasn't until I met my teacher, Demetra George. Regina George? Demetra George. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it wasn't until I started studying with her that all of it, fe- all of it had a home. She gave me a connection to a much older lineage that I had been, then I had been studying. And that gave me the rules and the structure for which to put in all my, all of my knowledge. And once I had those rules and structure, all, all of a sudden I had clarity with something that I knew about and I knew really well, but I had to kind of rely on my intuition to fill in the gaps. I felt a lot of times, and I, f- there was, I always felt like there was something missing in my education. And I was, I would take different classes and study with different teachers and read all these different books. And it wasn't until I met her that it all just came together. And it was at the same time that I met my wife. So it was one of those moments where I had struggle, 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 struggled. And then it finally all kind of felt like it sank in. And business and personal collided yeah. at the same time. Yeah. That's business interesting. And collided. Yeah. I think that when you find those things or those people that it that sparks something greater than what you can do by yourself. It's really magical and all the other things start to kind of fall into place. And you said you still get yearly readings with Demetra George, your I mentor. Do. I do. Okay, this is a novice question, but if your chart is is fixed, it's a map mm, of the sky yeah. when you were born, it does yeah. not change. Yeah. What changes in the yearly readings? Such a good question, Jeffrey. Okay, so there's your chart, and then there's there on one hand, there's all the planets that are moving in the sky right now and how they're impacting that chart. So you're superimposing the sky right now onto the sky when you were born. And that's how you know you're in a Saturn return or a Venus return or Pluto's doing something gnarly to your sun. That's how you know that you're in a moment. Then there's also all these older timing techniques. So there's newer timing techniques like progressions. You look at a day for year and you shift things around. You look at how the chart progresses over time. There's solar arcs that you look at the solar return chart. So the moment that you're reborn this year, that's its own chart. The moment that the sun is at the exact same degree as when you were born, we take a snapshot of the sky and we look at your year through that chart. And then there's also older techniques that are about which planets are ruling your year or ruling a couple of years or which houses or which areas of life are being opened up for you. And that changes each year. That's a lot. It's a lot. You can do, there's so many different techniques. So you got to kind of, each astrologer will choose a couple. And when you go to get a reading from them every year, they'll they'll work with those tools. That's really interesting. You've said that early on in your astrology, you thought that people would hate your type of astrology. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about that and like why you assumed that? Yeah, I think I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. I think I was hanging out with people that were... Uh, at that moment, I think I was either hanging out with, I had kind of two groups of people. I had like the community I had met in LA that was very like spiritual woo-woo. And then I had community in San Francisco, which was very like on the ground, practical and all activists and artists. And I, you know, have all obviously gained a lot from both places, but I, I didn't, I don't know why I didn't see an intersection. It was like astrology hadn't really hit the queer community like it has since then. That was before we're talking pre-social media. So there wasn't a lot of online conversation that I was picking up on going like, oh, people are into this. So I was kind of writing as, as Facebook was really taking off and finding its way. I wasn't really on Twitter 
Um, and I wasn't in all of the other astrological online chat stuff. I was really kind of siloed off. And so I just didn't know. I didn't know that people that had, that were academics and activists and like really serious people in the world or doing really serious work would want anything to do with astrology. Cause I just felt like it was something that was fairly disrespected or disregarded or misunderstood or not useful. Honestly, I didn't think folks in those roles would find it useful. When did your mind start to change? As soon as I started writing, I was like, wow, that's weird. <laughs> People like it. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was immediately affirming and it immediately opened me up to all of these different communities. And really, you know, that first, my, my communities in San Francisco, uh, specifically the queer communities that I was a part of, I think they, I think they did so much to, help proliferate my work in queer circles and build that kind of first wave of interest or um, readership. And that I've, you know, I'm so grateful for, for that. So early on, it, it felt lonely. Did it feel lonely? Like you were the only one paying attention? Uh, not that I was the only one paying attention. There's a lot of incredible astrologers that have, have work and, and write and, uh, you know, philosophize about the sky and the politics of the moment. So I didn't feel alone in that way. Um, but I did feel like I was on to something. And it's that, it's that place, I think, in life that is really interesting and where we really need other people to encourage us. And I, there's, there was a couple key people that really encouraged me at that point. And I'm, I'm, again, so grateful to those people because there's there's a point at which, you know, you start doing something you're like, I think this is good for me. I think I have a tap, but I'm not making any money and I'm working around the clock and I'm putting everything into this. And is this silly? Like I am an adult, should I, you know, all of those doubts start to come in. And I think we really need something to kind of bolster us and be like, just keep keep following it, keep following, keep following. As long as there's energy there, keep following the thing. Wow. And so I, I felt actually like writing astrology made me less lonely than I had ever been. I felt like I had a relationship to something that was mine and it wasn't a human, so it couldn't abandon me. And it wasn't, it wasn't full of all of those interpersonal issues that can be really hard for me and other humans. And it was just something that I could go to at any moment of the day and have a conversation with. And I've always felt like astrology was a really good friend to me. So the more I showed up in that friendship and that partnership, the more it showed up for me. And I was like, oh, wait, you're actually here. Like, oh, a fourth date. Cool. When you were started, first started writing, um, you were describing it in San Francisco. Yeah. How has your style changed since then? <laughs> I've had better, I've had editors. <laughs> Those first horoscopes were so badly written. I don't know why anybody muddled their way through them. Um, I've tried to be more concise and declarative and confident in my writing. And writing along with astrology is a relationship. So I'm, I've had to develop my relationship with the schedule of writing and, and the work and the business itself. And so I've just learned how to show up more for it. My wife teaches me constantly not to whine and moan and feel bad for myself once I've said yes to something. She's very good at reminding me to take responsibility for the things that I agree to and just to show up for them. And so I'm in that moment of career where there's a lot going on and it's a really great moment and it takes everything I've got every day to do it. 
and it's a blessing, but I've got to be really diligent about not getting resentful about the amount of work that it is. And that's something that I've had to really learn over the past couple of years. And it's a, it's a really important lesson for me. That's so interesting because you worked your butt off for so many years to get the, to this place where you have so much work to do. Yeah. <laughs> Abundance, you know, we, I think I used to ask for it all the time. And I think a lot of people do. We want success and we want abundance. And I think that we're not taught that simultaneously we have to become so much more capable of holding it. Like abundance gets completely wasted unless we have, we've built the container both internally and externally to hold it within. And the building of that is there's not a lot of immediate gratification with it. It's a lot of grunt work. It's a lot of effort. No one says, thank you. You just have to do it and again and again and again and again. And, but once you build it, when the abundance comes, it has somewhere to go. And then it can actually stay and take root and you can share it with people. And I see a lot of us online, I think social media really trains our mind to just go for the immediate gratification and the big win and the big response. And the. But where does that go if you don't have a container for it? So I really encourage people to think about what's gonna be, what's gonna sustain you long-term. Don't give it all away. Or if you're giving it away, have something to catch the excess, like have a rain barrel. That makes total sense. I was just thinking about you as an astrologer, how much has changed for astrology because um, 2000 years ago, they weren't talking about online, obviously, yeah. but I also doubt that they were talking about like a work-life balance. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Like the kind of conversations we have these days, the ancients would be like, Wow. <laughs> You all are really precious and think you're really special. <laughs> um, there's definitely that that feeling of taking oneself too seriously. When you read ancient texts, I mean, they're hilarious. They're like, we'll be killed by rabies and like, we'll be bitten by a, a wolf under the full moon. Like, it's very intense and very... Uh, like, you know, enemies will besiege your camp and... It's more survival-based. It's, yeah, very survival-based. It was like, who is going to win? Are you going to stay alive? Will you die of some horrible disease? Because that was the reality of life then. They didn't have time to ponder their childhood trauma. Or their, like, coworker issues. You know? Like, you just had to get the food and have a baby and do the things. And don't die by 40. Yeah, probably. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so astrology sounds very different when you go back into the ages. That's so funny. Yeah. So astrology is your craft. You're also a writer, but also you've built this really impressive business that didn't happen by accident. When did you start considering yourself a business person? When I got married and my wife was like, what are you doing? We, you could actually turn this into a business because really everything was just, I was just doing it all for free. Um, which a lot of it still is accessible and free. It was very organic. It was like I got flooded with appointments. I was booked like six to eight months out. I felt like I'd lost control of my life because I was, you know, I'd owed my time to everybody for so far in advance. And so I shut my calendar down. I finished out those appointments. And we just had this idea, horrible as it was and brilliant as it was, to do a teleclass for back member teleclasses uh, for a winter solstice ritual. Because so I was like, if everybody wants some of my time and I, I physically can't show up for it all, what if I have something where everybody can just gather online 
and do something where at least I can have a conversation, albeit one way with a bunch of people. And that began the business model. You mentioned being married taught you this. What is like one thing it taught you or like you got from that? Being married? Yes. Being married has taught me that I am lovable and worthy of love and that I am a really good partner. And it has taught me how having someone to love makes me want to be a better person and take better care of myself and do everything that much better. And did those things come as a surprise to you? Yeah. It was like the moment we met, I was like, oh, I need to get my shit together. Like I gotta, like I would smoke maybe one cigarette a month and I was like, no more. You know, it's like, there was just like these things that kind of came into my being that I just, when we met, I felt like something woke up in me that wanted to try harder than I ever had. And that was committed to myself more. And the more I committed to our relationship and committed to her, the more I naturally committed to myself or that was just a reciprocity that was happening. And it created something that was so strong uh, between us and the container that we could both utilize to then create whatever we wanted. I want to ask a question about you personally. I know you don't like to talk about it. No, no, I'll Um, talk about anything personally. Okay, I was just surprised to see um, in the the prologue of the book how you described your childhood. Yeah. And um, there was like struggles in it. You write that you knew what cocaine tasted like by the age of five. Yeah. And I, I guess my question is like that, it was not easy to get here, right? No. Like that was a challenge. Yeah. It took everything I had, every cent, every bit of discipline, every person that saw me for Reiki or therapy for a bowl of soup instead of a payment, like it took everything. And I, I learned really young and I learned from people, from a couple of my teachers that you, you spend every dollar, every cent, everything you can to heal. And you put, I always put it first. Like I would go, I would eat beans and rice for weeks if I had, if that meant that I could go to therapy. That's just me. I'm not saying that everybody else should do that, but I've always, always, always put it first and front and center in my life because I knew without it, I wouldn't survive. But I guess I'm just amazed that you knew that it required that much attention and focus. I remember being seven or eight years old and walking down the street with a friend of mine. And she was saying how much she loved the town that we were in. And and I turned to her and I said, I will leave this place as soon as I possibly can. And she was shocked. And I was shocked that she was shocked. But I was just like, I'm out, like, get me out. There's There's got to be more to life than this. And you always knew that. Yeah, because it was that or death. You know, it's a, it wasn't, um, there wasn't a lot of nuance in the way I grew up. It was like people really close to death all the time, like just taking such incredible risks with their life and with my life um, and with everybody's life around them, that it was that or I try to go and flourish somewhere. And so I went really far away. You know, I went to Toronto. I grew up in British Columbia. I went across the country. My dad ended up marrying a woman whose mother was a Reiki master. And the moment that I met her, I was 11, this voice like rose up inside of me and said, she knows how to make it through 
do whatever she tells you to do. It was like one of those bolts of lightning that changed me. And I, you know, begged her to let me into her workshops. I was 12, like 11, 12. She was like, you're too young. (laughs) But by 14, she let me come uh, and do Reiki level one with her. And then I studied with her for, until I was, until I left Toronto. So until I was like 29. That was an amazing bit of chance in your life. Very. It's that moment in the fairy tale where you meet the wizard and it's unmistakable and you are called to something and you and the character says yes and then you begin this harrowing journey (laughs) onto your destiny and she's the one who introduced me to astrology she's the one who bought me the first astrology me and my that family uh formation on astrology reading she went to my first astrology classes with me i owe her a tremendous amount When you were talking about living and moving to Toronto and growing up in Canada, where in that timeline did you start to realize that you were queer? So my childhood was hell, but one of the great things about it is I grew up with a lot of queer people. And so my best friend's mom was a lesbian and had tons of girlfriends. So like I I was just like lesbian was just like a normal thing that you could be. And I always had this thought that I was like, when I'm 60, I'm going to have a girlfriend or a wife or something. (laughs) And then I went traveling when I was like 19. And I was like, oh, wait, I don't have to wait till I'm 60. (laughs) That is so funny. And here you are now married. (laughs) And here I am now. Yeah. Um, Let's leave it there. I think that's an amazing place. Okay. Thank you for this. This is fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. All right, that was Chani Nicholas. Her new book is called You Were Born For This, and I highly recommend it. Until next week, come find me on social media. I tweet from at JeffMasters1. That's an amazing way to stay connected and to recommend guests. I love hearing from you each week. We're brought to you by Luminary Media, Nianha Media, and The Advocate. The Advocate magazine is the world's leading LGBTQ news source. Come check out our website at advocate.com. LGBTQ Q&A is produced by Jonathan Hirsch, Zach Stafford, John Asante, Jordan Gosprey, and myself with sound engineering by Mark Bush. We'll see you next week.